Hello and welcome to World of Oil Derivatives, where we break down the latest news and analysis impacting the oil swaps market. I'm Greg Newman, the CEO of Honest Capital Group, and my guest today is Biana Shieldrop, Chief Analyst of Commodities at SEB. A quick reminder before we get started, this podcast is available on YouTube if you prefer to watch it there. So welcome to the podcast, Biana. Thanks very much for joining. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. So it's a great time to be on because it's you know, the market's going absolutely nuts, but it's not just going nuts. It's, uh, I think people are really struggling to understand what's going on. So for context, you know, the recent sell-off on Brent futures down to, you know, below $100 per barrel in the week being in the highs of 130. What's your initial take on that? You know, I was surprised myself because, I mean, nothing was resolved. And, and you know, for what I could see, there weren't any positive signals out from, from the Russian side of, of the equation. Um, and we were losing supply and market was tight before. You know, I, I was kind of stunned when I saw the, the sort of the, the sharp sell-off. But I think, you know, looking back to last week, I, I think we could describe it maybe as sort of peak crazy. You know, when the big moves basically forced out a lot of positions that were positioned wrongly for this kind of move. We had stop losses uh, and everything, and everything was was uh, uncertain. So I think we probably have flushed out a lot of position. I mean, we saw nickel prices shooting up to $100,000 uh, per ton versus normal 20000 you know, things like that. You know, I think that kind of craziness is, is probably behind us flushing out uh, the wrong positions. Yeah, flushing out is yeah, it's a great way of putting it. I mean, certainly from our perspective, as soon as the exchange came out with their raised uh, margin increases on Brent and Gasol, you know, it just puts everyone in such a bind who's training the financial contracts. And I think from the layman's terms, you know, it's the actual financing of a physical cargo. You have to finance the whole thing, right? You know, like 60 to 90, 100 million dollars per cargo, um, whereas a financial position, most people are leveraged. So when you eat into yeah. that leverage, needing cash, you know, people just have to liquidate. So yeah. I, I, I read it the same way, but I think um, you know it was indicative of everyone being long. So if the market's going to go down when there's a liquidation, when you need to de-risk, then it means everyone was long, right? And everyone had to get out, and there was no real no real buyer because everyone's in the same bind. So it, I, I agree with you; it seems to calm down now. But we've definitely got a bit of sell side momentum it came into the time spreads kind of the wider oil swap market looks to react the same way so do you have any any point i mean you you've said already that you think the market was very strong there's no real signal anything was changing but how do you think the fundamental picture looks right now is it exactly the same or or any change in your mind you know, I think a part of the sell-off was was probably also linked to the breakout of Omicron in China. I mean, they are no longer holding this zero um, uh, infection policy, so they're actually allowing the the um, the virus to spread. Uh, and we know it's super contagious, and we've seen the breakout out uh, uh, hitting China with the significant lockdowns, and we know that directly also hurts demand. Um, but it also hurts global economy because, you know, locking down uh, China means locking down production of goods and parts, go, which normally goes into a uh, supply chain of everything um, into the world. Uh, and then, you know, it, it basically means that things stops when, when you start to lock down China. And, and our Asian strategist has been warning of this for, for quite some time now that, that you know, um, uh, Due to the zero um, infection policy in China, 
you know, they are now much more vulnerable for infection by Omicron than the rest of the world, where we've had quite a lot of infections um, in addition to to, uh, vaccinations, of course. So I think that was part of the story, concerns that the lockdowns in China was going to hurt demand and the global economy as well. Uh, Sort of, um, I think that added to the sell-off. And and we saw, for example, copper prices as well um, sell-off in connection with this. So yeah, China. I mean, looking at their financial market, it's it's. Uh, I think I read something recently that their main index, MSCI China A shares, it's close to a zero percent cumulative return since 1992, since it started. So it's a, a cataclysmic sell-off there, and there's a lot of worries about their financial system in general. So I guess yeah, that I imagine oil was linked to to that move, right? They needed to de-risk, but these yeah. kind of things that can happen. Yeah, Without so I think that being front and center, yeah. that's basically came from the left left field. I think um, mm, what happened yeah. in China and, and really added to the downward momentum from the peak. Mm. And I think most people, I mean, they it's very very difficult to know what do you what what to believe about yeah. Ukraine and Russia, and mm. and it's so much oil and energy at stake. I mean, we're mm. we're talking. Uh, production of of 11.2 million barrels and and normal exports of crude and products of like 7.5 million barrels per day. You know, it's such a massive delta on supply into the global uh, oil market, but also natural gas market, of course. That just uh, um, everything is geopolitics. So a small movement of the geopolitical needle just suddenly changes a huge uh, bulk of potential supply coming to market or not, and and that is what what moving markets so so crazy as well. I think. So what, how, what's your take on it then? Because I mean, the the actual supply situation at the moment seems to be kind of open for interpretation, like you're saying. But the, the latest news was India more than happy to take cheaper barrels um, they just need to do so having sorted out logistics insurance um, China have spent you know 10 years circumnavigating sanctions western sanctions for oil so they're 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 more than prepared to do it and also probably not going to get penalized so I mean is in your mind do you see not much supply impact at all or are you seeing the evidence that we are seriously overhung and the Russian and everyone's neglecting it and therefore not enough supply to Europe or how, how do you see it no I mean of course energy exports uh, out of Russia, um, uh, being both coal and oil and gas, are, are not explicitly hit by sanctions, except for 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 the ban of crude imports to to the US, which doesn't change much, except for a lot of rerouting impracticalities versus complex refineries, then taking sour crude from the Middle East to the US Gulf instead of Russia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I mean, a lot of rerouting, both on crude and products, is is one clear consequence, and I think that is why we see uh, some of uh, you know uh, a tanker. Uh, 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 freight contracts are, are 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 gaining a lot of ground as well, you know, because you need need to tra- transport everything left, right, and center rather than to normal destinations, uh, taking a lot more uh, ton miles. Uh, but but I think it's it's clear if you look at the discount for euros versus Brent crude, that is a very clear sign that that it's it's a huge reluctance to take or. or you know, get tainted by um, Russian crude and products. So I think there is a significant friction and there is a significant reduction of flows of oil into the market, even though they are not hit by explicit sanctions yet. Uh, And we saw, you know, Shell having to publicly apologize for taking a crude cargo of euros, right? So, 
Um, you know, I think there is a significant hampering, and we see that from from several research uh, um, uh, companies uh, addressing that specifically. You know, saying um, you know FGE is is uh, ballpark two million barrels. Um, of uh, oil liquids not flowing out of Russia, leading to higher inventories, uh, and then basically um, uh, uh, maxing out inventories um, within quite a short time, forcing production to move lower, um, and then losing at least uh, 1 million barrels uh, per day of uh, physical supply. And we saw International Energy Agency today basically saying much the same thing, you know, losing uh, uh, maybe 2.5 million barrels altogether from Russia. But, you know, these are to some degree speculation still. I mean, we don't really know exactly how much is disbarred from flowing into the global market. I think we need to remind ourselves that, you know, oil traders, particularly those that aren't publicly listed, you know, this is their job. You know, they've been they've been moving all around the world. Yeah. Dicey situations for ever since oil started trading. So yeah. I don't think that's going to stop. I think some a lot of clever rerouting. Uh, it's going to be done, is being done. And as you said, Shell got absolutely lambasted, but, you know, because they're, they're a big name. They got blamed for global warming the other day as well. So it's just one yeah. of those things. Like they're just, it's the very nature of them being so public. But, you know, a trade house took euros and sold it to India, I think, two days ago. So yeah, yeah. no, no, one, no think, one talks about it. Now, it's clear that, that the crude is and products are going to India and, and China most definitely. Uh, and, and then suddenly we see that diesel is flowing from India to Europe, right? So everything is rerouted big time. It's still flowing, but it's definitely being, being rerouted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so where, where do you see it going going now in the outright price? I mean, a lot of the mania is gone, as you say. We're kind of now looking at things again. How do you think the perception is of the oil market now? And, and where do we go from here, do you think? Um, you know, I, I think yeah, a lot of guidance is taken from uh, the progression um, in the talks between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, at least that we see that very explicitly in prices. You know, you get one headline saying now it's it's some positive developments in the talk, and we see immediately the oil price falls back, and vice versa. If there aren't any positives, prices is moving up, and we saw that intraday today moving up like two and a half percent, and then suddenly it's negative territory, half a percent. Uh, you know, uh, a few minutes later on headlines that it's uh, maybe we're going to get a. Um, a neutral uh, Ukraine with independent army, etc. You know, I can't see that at all as a solution. I mean, Russia has lost so much already in terms of relationship to the West, you know, the West, Western Europe now saying, we're, not, we're just going to get the hell out of here. I mean, we're not going to import oil and natural gas and coal from Russia. We're getting out of it, right? That dependence, that energy marriage is, is done, Right, so they have lost so much. All the sanctions, um, uh, they are not going to to move away anytime soon. So, you know, I can't see anything else than than Russia's just moving forward, crushing Ukraine altogether. Um, um, I would be very surprised if we get any kind of of near term resolution. Uh, out of this, uh, with Russia pulling back, and and uh, suddenly we have uh, Ukraine left more or less intact in terms of of um, a geographic nation. Uh, I don't uh, I don't buy that at all. So I think 
moving forward, still terrible developments to, to happen in, in Ukraine. I think it's the most likely. Uh, I don't think Russia is going to, uh, to change course anytime soon. Uh, I don't think uh, Putin is anything near sensitive to loss of life in Ukraine. Um, unfortunately, so it's a it's a completely tragic story. I mean, nothing would make me happier than to see that there actually is indeed a pullback by Russian soldiers, mm. and and um, uh, and you have a neutral Ukraine. But from an oil market perspective, I mean, either way, even if there's a pullback, unless there's some kind of ultimatum, you know, we pull back yeah, if this, if yeah. that, you know, I don't see how we ever trust oil coming. Well, the West ever trusts oil coming out of the country ever again it's, it's been weaponized it will forever be weaponized so i think um boris johnson in particular has made it very clear isn't he and he's taking it on upon himself he's in in, in uh, saudi arabia right now to go and negotiate to get more oil this is way overdue in my opinion like the the whole pressure on on opec to to increase because they do have spare capacity despite what people say right they're they're in the middle of a production yeah, yeah, cut. Yeah. they can obviously produce more so as you said earlier it's all about geopolitics and it, I mean, the fact that Boris Johnson's involved and not Biden, you know, there was always Trump and Saudi Arabia discussing OPEC. So Boris has gotten involved uh, to, to kind of get that replaced from Russia. I mean, do you not, do you see a success in that? Because no. from a market perspective, you don't, okay, well, yeah, that's the answer. But I was going to say. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't see success in that. And, and I think, you know, for one, you know, Saudi now has a very important relationship with Russia established through the OPEC plus organization uh, and it has proved its value since the hit of uh, of uh, COVID-19 uh, in 2020 um, and um, you know uh, Saudi Arabia knows very well that the future of oil sales is not to the U.S. Uh, because U.S. is self-sufficient and imports like uh, 4 million barrels per day from, from Canada in addition, net exports out of, of U.S. Gulf. So it's only about refinery complexity that has the value for, for uh, Saudi Arabian crude. But but Asian uh, refineries are super complex today as well. You know, So it, it doesn't need to send any crude um, to the U.S. Um, and the future in, in Europe is going to be even faster away from oil and gas and coal, renewable energy, uh, electric vehicles. So the future is a cooperation with Saudi Arabia um, and um, with Russia, Saudi uh, cooperation with Russia and sales of oil to Asia. Right. That's a great point. So, yeah, so you've broken it down quite well there. So U.S. is kind of irrelevant because they're trying to be energy sufficient. And they are, they are. I mean, and basically, and just just today out on, on a statement, you know, Saudi Arabia considering taking uh, Chinese renminbi as payment for oil. That is also a huge break away from Saudi Yeah, but that, that's been talked about for years. But, but I, I, fr- I agree. If, but if they do, do it, it's, it's the first oh. time we've seen statement coming out of Saudi, Saudi about it. Oh, I see. Yeah, fair enough. But I was taking it, I was actually quite like that. So she's saying, okay, so not US, but Europe is the one that's in a bind. 40% of the imports of gas, 30% of crude, you know, comes from Russia. Okay, so that needs to be replaced. Boris is the one trying to say, look, we can get away from it, trying to be aggressive about it, trying to get Saudi. But actually, the Saudi crude is heavy, geared towards US refiners and Asian refiners, not European refiners. They're more geared towards light sweet. So there's going to be a bit of an issue there, is basically what you're saying. Well, it's going to be, have to be heavily discounted or allow at least for the more of the lighter sweet to be rerouted in, into the Europe. But it's just not that easy of a situation physically. But also geopolitically, what does Saudi Arabia have to gain? Because right now they're doing very well with the oil price. They're aligned with Russia, as you say. They're not getting help in Yemen or any of the 
things that they I mean, want to do. So they have just to lose now. If if they start to ramp up production and sell oil into the market, they are undercutting their relationship with with uh, with uh, Russia, and they don't want to do that. I think the equation changes a bit if oil price moves up to one hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars, because then you're threatening uh, global economic growth, potentially driving the global uh, economy into recession, and then collapsing oil price down to forty dollar again. Uh, and what is the alignment? Like, what is the alignment with Russia, though? Do you mean because obviously they're in line, they've got the same interests right now. But there's there's not a future trade relationship there, really, is there? I mean, or is that what you're saying? Uh, I mean, there's quite uh, quite a lot of, of uh, relationship in terms of petrochemicals. I mean, uh, okay. Russia investing in uh, um, refinery and the petrochemical plants in in Saudi Arabia and vice versa. But but more than anything, it's about having control of uh, something like fifty percent of global hydrocarbon liquids production and the major bulk of exports. You know, so OPEC is basically too small. That is what was the uh, the reasoning for the establishment of OPEC plus. You know, so so continuing the tight relationship with Russia is important for uh, for Saudi Arabia. So Russia needs China. Uh, Saudi Arabia needs China. And I think that is the, the axis of cooperation going forward rather than, than Saudi Arabia versus uh, the US and Saudi Arabia versus Europe. But but if we move to 150, 200, then I think we might see more oil from, from Saudi Arabia to try to to, to hold off and, and prevent a global recession and an oil price um, uh, crashing down to $40 and, a, and an additional roller coaster. This is all playing out so much quicker than I expected to. I mean, it, it, you did. we did think, you know, at some point, especially Europe and US driving more renewable energy projects, that kind of thing, you know, the energy marriage, I think you've put it before, uh, between Europe and Middle East and oil, oil producing countries has to break down at some point because of what we're prioritizing. But they've got, a few, they've got their own future to worry about. So they're going to have to have tighter relationships with the East. Um, but it's all happening right now. So I guess, as I say, like uh, it is geopolitical. I think um, you're bang on. But can you really see Boris in this example, but other Western leaders just just letting that go? As in, they've got to have they've got to have something, some kind of leverage, some kind of relationship, something they can offer to keep keep the relationship, you know, bound. Because the flip side is, you create tighter relationships with Saudi Arabia, Russia, China, all together. That's not good for the West long term, either way you look at it. So there's got to be no, something no, they're going to yeah. try and do. And you don't think that they'll, it's got, do you not think there's something they're going to have to offer at this stage? Well, I think, I, I, you know, I think for, for, for sure it's going to be a massive development of the relationship between Western Europe and the US. So, I mean, this is what Donald Trump wished for, you know, basically that we shouldn't have a Nord Stream 2, that Europe should be build more um, LNG import terminals, US should build more exports, uh, and then we should have long-term offtake contracts for LNG from the US to Europe. Uh, and this is now probably what is going to happen. Um, uh, so it's going to tighten the relationship between the US and the West big time. We saw how that that relationship, you know, um, uh, firmed up like overnight with the invasion of Ukraine. Like, I, I think that was the most amazing thing probably seen from or surprising seeing, uh, seen from Putin's side uh, point of view that suddenly, it, you know, his action basically forced the West together to a co- coherent, coherent group. Um, 
So, you know, Western Europe is now going to vacuum clean the global market for LNG for, for, uh, for, for the years to come, burn a lot more coal, uh, burn whatever, like garbage, uh, old car tires, you know, everything you can burn, which is not Russian, um, uh, and, and then uh, reduce energy dependence on, on Russia big time. So I think, you know, for Russia, it's really bad in the medium term because Europe is now moving away from Russian energy so much faster than it otherwise would have been, would have done. And uh, and now, you know, I, I, you could almost say that, you know, renewable energy or energy security in, in, in general is almost a part of a defense budget. You know, it's it's imperative to not be dependent on Russian energy the way we we uh, we are and have been. Um, you know, so now governments are going to place money on the table. You know, just build build the wind, build solar, sell electric vehicles, build maybe more nuclear, and uh, and just burn that coal for a while and and just get out of that uh, energy marriage. It's uh, it's dangerous. It's, uh, I just I can't see how this doesn't make things more tense no, as we exactly, go on. Exactly, exactly. And it, it's, it's tragic and it's, it's dangerous. Um, um, and, you know, uh, I mean, we all had this dream about the energy marriage with Russia going hand in hand into the sunset. You know, we are buying the energy, giving them money. They need the money. You know, it's a perfect relationship. It creates understanding, a relationship. Uh, and l- look at the names of, of the gas and oil pipeline. You know, the oil pipeline, the Drushpa oil uh, line. You know, it means uh, friendship, right? And then you have the Brotherhood uh, natural gas pipeline going through uh, Ukraine. It's all about sort of this relationship. Now it's like totally mm. gone, totally broken. Mm. And it's the beginning of, of something bigger because ultimately the you say it's about security of knowing where you're going to source but I think it's actually what's your role in energy markets because if you have no influence over the supply and demand situation, I mean, that's, that's an awful place to be in and you're, you're going to be weaponized. It's going to be weaponized and used against you like we've seen with gas. And you mentioned the hoovering up of LNG offtake agreements, but that's just going to say to the Russians, well, then we're definitely not going to supply you gas. I mean, if it was bad before, it's going to get a lot worse. So. Yeah, we look, yeah. we're talking about seriously bad situations coming. If I, I personally take into account, of, I, I think I think the Western governments weren't prepared, but they're certainly they're certainly taking things seriously now. They're certainly saying, "Well, okay, we understand how this can be weaponized now. We understand what's needed." I guess Boris has taken that stance of like, "We just got to get security," but it goes it goes beyond that, right? Because if you if you lose control, or, or on the flip side, if you say, fine, we're just going to go without any kind of Middle Eastern Russian, well, then what, what are they going to do? They're not going to supply anything right now, and they're going to squeeze you right now. So can you afford to have that? It's it's economic war, however, however way you look at it. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. Actually, I, don't, I think leaders are aware of that now. I, don't, I think they're going to have to offer something, some kind of long-term brotherhood pipelines, maybe, or something. But uh, let's, let's see. It's, 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 a, it's interesting. You could hope, but I mean, look at Germany. 
the, you know, from one day before the invasion to the day after, you know, that was a 180 degree turnaround no, so from so defending, true. you know, energy imports, Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2, the whole relationship. And suddenly it was, you know, we're going to spend 2% of GDP on defense. We're going to reduce imports of, of natural gas from Russia by 80% within one year. You know, now it's just all in on, on uh, uh, in the different direction. And I think the rest of Europe is taking the same cue. And, and this is most definitely, it's, it's Cold War II. You know, it's, it's, um, it's back to the 70s and before, back to the 80s and before, you know, this, this massive deep divide between Russia and Western Europe. It's, it's not a, a pleasurable future we, we, we are looking down. But played out in a slightly different way because it, it's the economic, the financial system is what's really at, 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 fight, at battle here. And how are we going to have a $30 sell-off from Brent futures when the market's so tight underlying? It's basically selling, you know, that's a function of financial system essentially not being able to sustain itself and people having to liquidate their positions. That's going to happen all over the place. It happened with nickel. This, this, this can only really be the beginning because we're now in such a heightened environment and we're now making these geopolitical stances. So that's, they know the cards they have. Russia can go from supplying the minimum to supplying nothing at all if they really want to. Then what's going to happen? riots in the street <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean we pretend that we are in control saying well i don't know i don't think i'm going to buy it from you uh putin and mm. then putin said well you're not getting it right yeah, so yeah, yeah. i mean he's more in control than we are in terms of of, of that that equation but i think you know uh, so what is going to happen to prices oil price going forward here you know i think we're going to to tick back higher um, uh, in in uh, in the months ahead, you know, I don't buy into uh, a, a resolution of uh, Ukraine-Russian uh, war that they're going to be a pullback of, of Russian soldiers. I would be very surprised. Hope hope I'm wrong, but I, I, I'm, that is what I think. Um, and then most definitely we're going to be short of uh, of Russian oil and products to some degree, uh, further tightness in, in market and uh, oil price ticking higher. And, and I think also, I mean, one uh, negative fallout from this is, of course, that that uh, all the sanctions towards Russia is most likely going to reduce capex spending uh, in upstream oil and gas in Russia and lower production uh, 12 months down the road um, as a consequence. Fascinating stuff. Bjorn, thanks so much for that. That was a really, really, really fun conversation. But that brings us to the end of the episode. So thanks again, Bjorn, for joining us. And thank you for watching or listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media by searching Flux Liquidity Hub on Instagram and Flux-Live on LinkedIn. But for now, that's goodbye. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.